back in. You find your way in your Bibles to Acts chapter 9. Acts 9, verse 30, 30-31, whatever it takes, somewhere right in there. I'll wait for her. She thought, I, I mean, I don't know how what she thought. I, I looked at my clock and she walked in the room. She thought I was thinking about, like I was keeping track of when she showed up. I only do that with Jim and Karen. I don't do that with anybody else. Yeah. Mainly just Jim. Yeah, it's usually that Karen's with Jim. Actually, we used to set our clocks in Fargo by Chris and Sherry when they would show up at church. Yeah. When you came to the front door, worship would start. That's when you guys showed up. You don't know. All right. Hey, it's better than like showing up in the third or fourth song. Like, All right, let's pray. There we go. And here we go. Heavenly Father, we thank you tonight for Jesus. Lord, the, the Word of God, the living Word. The uh, Thank you for the book of Acts, the history of your continuing work in and through the, the lives of the people that you filled with your Spirit. We're asking and praying tonight for our understanding. So we ask to be taught by your Holy Spirit. Uh, but we also ask, Lord, that that we would learn uh, and therefore change our lives. Uh, the things that we uh, see and hear uh, in your church and, and the things in the word that you desire, that we'd conform our lives un, unto your likeness. And this we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Excuse me. Amen. It's amen. Excuse me. Amen. All right. Acts chapter 9. What was that? I thought Isaac was out of here. Is he still in here somewhere? I'm hearing things. He's hiding. We've got to get that video camera set up so we can see Chris run circles back there. All right. Of course, this is all on the recording, so hi, everybody. Which There we go. Very professional we are here. All right, so we come to the, the study of the book of Acts as we've been undertaking this, and uh, we reach that place uh, straight up and honest, everything that had happened up until Acts chapter 8 was all centered around Jerusalem. It was the work of the Holy Spirit in, in the Spirit being poured out on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem. All the, the ministry, the, the, the working, the increasing amongst the saints. But I remind you that on that day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit clearly identifies that there were believers, right, from there were Jews from all these towns that were there, and they remember the gift of tongues, and they all the men there heard as that gift of tongues was poured out upon the disciples on the day of Pentecost, the people, Jews from other parts of the of the world would hear the praises of God in their own language. And those that did not understand and didn't understand the languages that they were speaking, they said, well, these, these men are drunk. And like Peter's like, they're not drunk. It's 9 a.m. This is what Joel prophesied about. You're witnessing this outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And I remind you that, that in that outpouring of the Holy Spirit, those, the 3,000 that were saved that day, by and large, most of them stayed in Jerusalem. By the time we get to Acts chapter 8, we see... The church scattered because of persecution. Philip goes down to Samaria. People are getting saved. Philip goes out to the desert. 
saves the eunuch. Now, I'll say this, and Philip didn't do it. The, the Spirit of God brought the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ through, through the preaching of Jesus in the book of Isaiah. And when that eunuch is, is saved, now history tells us what's happening. There's a work of God in Samaria that began in Acts chapter 8 and establishes the church there. Very exciting. They're called saints there. That eunuch who was saved goes back to Ethiopia, and there's many saved in Ethiopia yet today. There's a large Jewish contingent because of Solomon and the Queen of Sheba. Uh, the traditions amongst the Jews is that she went back home pregnant with the child from Solomon. And, I mean, you know Solomon. I believe it. That could very well be the case. And, and the, there's a lot of Jews. In fact, today there are those who even believe that that the Ark of the Covenant is actually in Ethiopia. Now, I'll just lay that out there. Now, I'm not saying it is the Ark of the Covenant, right? I'm saying what they have, they believe they have the Ark of the Covenant. And that's, again, you can roll back in history. And why do I talk like this? Because the history of the book of Acts also then shows when we hit 8 and 9, and we're going to get the last part of 9 today, we're going to begin this working of God, the Holy Spirit, as he really now puts the disciples out onto the commission to go, therefore, and make disciples of every nation. And from here on, the book of Acts, I mean, if you think about it, it took, say, 15 years to get this, this vine, this vine firmly rooted and planted, and in Christ Jesus, uh, that there would be his church. He said he would build his church. What has he been doing for 15 years in the book of Acts? He births the church on Pentecost by the, by the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. And then this thing gets established, and it's a vine. Pretty soon, we get Acts 8, 9, 10, 11. This thing branches out. And it's gone now, this gospel of Jesus Christ. The church, I believe, is represented in almost every country of the world. And especially with the availability of the gospel through, uh, you, can, you can dog on the internet all you want and say, that's a bad thing. But I remind you, that gospel of Jesus Christ has gone out into all the world. Anyone today on the earth has, who has access to the internet has access to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Rather exciting to know that, that we would live in those days. And I, I'm here to remind you, whatever your understanding of scripture concerning the, the gospel would go forth into all nations, and then the end would come. I, I'm saying we, there's nothing keeping Jesus, nothing biblically, prophetically, from keeping Jesus from rapturing his church at any moment. Or again, I believe this way, the imminent return of Jesus Christ. Now until then, what we see in the book of Acts in history, and then what we live out presently, there is this desire in me, to, I, I I read the word of God that's all about Jesus, and I have this desire. I want to live after this living word. It's alive. So many times the Holy Spirit demonstrates through, you could say, gifts of teaching or gifts of prophecy, specific verses in the situation that the Holy Spirit applies in someone's life, and they look at this and like, I, how did you do that? How do you put that together? That's the Holy Spirit. That's the leading we see with with the Apostle Paul as he is saved in the beginning of Acts chapter 9. Now, we're studying Acts 9 in history. We, we wouldn't know where this thing goes because we leave off really with him being rejected for preaching Christ in amongst the synagogues in Damascus. He's rejected so much that they let him out of a basket. 
He has to escape because the governor of the city is going to imprison him if he can. The same reason he went there to imprison believers, he now being a believer almost gets caught, if you will, in his own snare that he had laid for others. And he escapes out. He comes back to Jerusalem. And so you think that those believers in Jerusalem, they're happy to see him? Uh, that's what 26, 27, and 28 is about. They were afraid of him, joining him as a, as a disciple. Barnabas, the son of encouragement, goes and gets him and, and listens to him. And what a name. I mean, do you, I don't know if you look at some of the, the people in the body of Christ in such a way through the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You, I mean, I would say the gifts of the Spirit upon Barnabas you, how would you describe this? Except he's got to have that gift of prophecy. One that he's in, he, he prophesies in what the Lord wants to say to people. He has the understanding of what the Lord wants to do. And when the time comes, when they find that there are believers, Barnabas goes and gets Saul for the work of ministry and turns out that those two are the ones that God sends out. What a pair. And we're, we're getting the beginning of all this. Well, let's take a look at one more thing before we get to Acts 10 and 11 here in the next few weeks. Because 10 and 11 is the rest of us here, Gentiles in the room, we're like, the Holy Spirit saves Gentiles. Jesus saves Gentiles, the power of the Spirit, the gospel. This wasn't to go out and just build church buildings. This was to take the gospel forth and and, in the response to the gospel and in history and people getting saved and Again, that's the part of the Bible I want to I wanna stay right in line with, the history. Why change it? I don't know how it was with you when you find out what God's Word says about an area of your life. Do you go looking for a second opinion? We go to doctors and we don't like what they say. What do we do? Can I get a second opinion? But when the Word of God comes, and I, I, this, so this is where I'm at. We find out in verse 30, the brethren found out, because in Jerusalem they wanted to kill Saul, and they bring him down to Caesarea, and they send him out to Tarsus. Turns out in history, Saul of Tarsus is back in Tarsus for seven years. You know, if you want to think of the original place of studying out the Word of God, you imagine him having studied in Jerusalem, having studied under Gamaliel, a Pharisee. Now he's saved. His eyes are open, the scales have fallen, and he has the Holy Spirit. And now for seven years, he's going through the Scriptures. For seven years, reading these things. Can you imagine reading the Bible the first time and that the Spirit illuminates and you see Jesus on every page? That's what Saul's going through. Now, we come to that place. The effect of that stirring and that working and saving of, of, of Saul, it says that the churches all throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. Did you just hear that? We're not just talking Jerusalem anymore. This is the part that I, that I draw your attention to. This branch, right, this vine is branching out. And it branches out. And remember the word given, you shall be witnesses unto me. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. And we only have one part left, the uttermost parts of the world. We're in the book of Acts to see that witness and power of the Holy Spirit. They've come to Judea, come to Samaria, and, and they were walking, they were edified, they had peace, they were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord. And look at that last phrase in 31. Comfort of the Holy Spirit. You you can argue all you want about doctrines and teachings and ideas and who the Holy Spirit is. Some people think he's a force, you know, third person of the Trinity. Some total, he's more misunderstood than anybody. But I love that truth of the witness because 
the Bible said he wasn't going to testify of himself. What did Jesus introduce concerning the Holy Spirit? He says he's going to receive the things that the Father says, he's going to receive the things that the Son says, and he's going to give them to you. The Holy Spirit testifies of Jesus. And that's why in the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, when because the Spirit's always testifying of Jesus, the blasphemy is the rejection of Jesus. Now, when you see that, and you have this, the Comforter, Jesus introduces the Holy Spirit to the, the disciples as the Comforter, the one who comes alongside to help. Now, I don't know if you enjoy or despise you know, Christian TV. I'm in the category of despising most of that stuff that's put on TV. I don't throw it all away and say it has no value for people because some they begin to seek out and right there the TV is. I, I understand that part. But what I'm getting at is most of the time the Holy Spirit is is presented more like someone or, or some force that you somehow get in touch with that that somehow that almost like an electric current, that type of power, and it's put on display to do things. I remind you, this church, and you can you talk about this branch. And now uh, this vine is going to branch out. It's the comfort of the Holy Spirit. What do we need the Holy Spirit for? Everything. The one who comes alongside, the paraclete. It's a compound Greek word. The one who comes alongside and helps in every need. What you need the Holy Spirit to be. And and this is the mark of of the, the churches in Judea, Galilee, Samaria. And the church was multiplied. Now, we don't have a lot of verses to cover tonight, but we have one key thing to cover. As now, in the writing of the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit sends Peter forth to, to look at or fellowship with these churches that have been started in the other parts of Israel. And we find that in 32, it came to pass that Peter went throughout all the parts of the country, that he, he also came down to the saints that dwelt at Lydda. Now, This is not Galilee, it's not Samaria, and you might not even notice it, but this begins now going out the way the Holy Spirit was poured out. This is the beginning of the uttermost parts of the world. Now, we're told not to despise the day of small things. You ever stop and consider that every every work that God does that truly is of God has a beginning, you know, we talked about this with, with Acts chapter 8, with Philip going to, to meet with that eunuch. And now in Lydda, Peter shows up, and there's, there's saints there. Now, we, this, this, is, this is where this starts, this term, saints. These are the New Testament believers in Jesus Christ. Not the Old Testament saints, not the tribulation saints, the book of Acts reveals that those that are sanctified in Jesus Christ doesn't develop it. You know, the, this is not reading like a textbook. This is not, you don't take the book of Acts out and take it into the lab like you would with chemistry uh, textbook. This is the teaching of the word of God to give witness of the spirit, bringing forth those things in life concerning this outpouring of the Holy Spirit unto uh, a garden growing, unto a unto a plant, unto... This thing's going to branch out. How? As I stir that up in us, and we're here, and then, again, I, I, I hate the vine in my backyard. It does not produce grapes, right? It's on both sides of our fences. We completely stripped it, like, bare about three years ago, and now it's as, it's, it's, 
It's more like Cousin It, if you ever know from, from that one TV show. This vine is just, it's just hairy all over the place. And every year I have to go in and thin this thing out, and it produces no fruit. And it, it's nothing but extra work, and then it grows into the neighbor's garage, and I'm pulling out of our garage. And, and I found it trying to get to our house yesterday, and I'm pulling this out. So that's fresh in my mind concerning this. But when it comes to what this thing does, a line shoots out, a vine goes out, and then it plants. And then from there it takes root, and then it goes farther. And we inherently know that. I just simply say, do you ever stop and consider, how did the gospel get to us? Or specifically, how did the gospel get to you that you believed it? And maybe you can track back that vine and you can see where the word of God spread. And maybe that root is with one of your family members where they got saved and the gospel then reached your whole family. Maybe it's a parent, maybe it's a sibling, a mom, a grandma. Almost everybody I talk to, much like, much like Timothy's testimony in scripture, it was his mom and his grandma. And these things of faith concerning the word of God and how the word of God was sent forth. We're in this place now in Acts 9 where the shoot is going out. And down in Lydda, which is actually, it's Ben-Gurion Airport. For those of you who fly into to Israel, they're almost out to the coast. So the plains of Sharon, again, which is the edge now coming out of Jerusalem, come all the way down. And it's actually fertile farmland. And it's in Lydda where Peter shows up. The saints are there. And there's a certain man named Aeneas who had been bedridden eight years and was paralyzed. Now, turn back with me to Acts 1.1. It's worthy from time to time to go right back to this thing. Looks like when I taught Acts 1 and 2, I had a cough drop in my mouth. So one of the young boys saw the video of me teaching the Bible, and I was given an announcement, and my Bible was closed, and he could see the closed Bible on the video camera. And he says to Dad, he says, Dad, he doesn't have his Bible open. He's teaching the Bible, and his Bible's not open. He's like, son, he's just doing announcements. His Bible's not open, and he's getting all worked up. And then he looks at him, and he says, well, if Mom were here, she would know what to do. (laughs) So look at Acts 1.1. The former account I made, O Theophilus, And look at this phrase, of all that Jesus both began to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles that he had chosen. This is all that Jesus both began to do and teach. This is the continuation of Jesus Christ. This is his working. When Jesus said, he said, you are Peter, right? And on this rock, I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. In fact, what he's taught, what he's shown, not only did he come to die on the cross and rise again, in going forth to heaven to send the Holy Spirit, birthing the church, and then, if you will, the idea of the church as a building. Don't think of the buildings of the church, but think of the spiritual concept. The foundation is Jesus Christ. The church is built by lively stones. That's people. The analogy of the vine and the branches, the building of lively stones, it's happening when we get to Acts 9. Now, that which Jesus both, both began to do and to teach, Jesus, right, how many times did Jesus heal? Well, let's go to the one that's most famous in our mind. The four friends get the paralytic, open up the roof, get this paralytic right before Jesus. And what does Jesus do for him? Well, he starts by saying, I forgive all your sins. 
And was there an uproar that day? Who has power to forgive sin? Well, Jesus comes and forgives this man's sin. He says, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or rise up and walk? Now, this comes down to this. I mean, what do we really know? How many times are we trying to figure out, is it sickness? Is it sin? Is it, what's wrong? We're, we're always like, Lord, what is this? I simply say this, get people to Jesus. Aeneas is bedridden eight years and is paralyzed. We don't know why. We, we, we know nothing except we, we see the mighty working power of Jesus, the things that Jesus both began to do and to teach continue through those that he sent forth, just like he said he would. I like that. If it came out completely different than what Jesus had said, well, then Jesus doesn't know anything of what's coming, does he? But when he declares that this is, this is his working and they're going to carry it out, I love that we are watching a branch go out, take root, branch out further, take root, branch out further. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus the Christ heals you. I don't think that was hard to say, right? He could have easily said, Jesus, the Christ, forgives all your sin. Now, what am I drawing attention to? We can talk about miracles. We can talk about supernatural working, mighty power of God miracles, and we would miss, if we didn't catch it clearly throughout Scripture, that the, the miracle of salvation is just that. It's a miracle. We're watching the gospel go forth. We see this. We agree. That's a miracle. Arise, make your bed, then he, then he arose immediately. So all that dwelt at Lydda and Sharon, again, that's the plains of Sharon, saw him and turned to the Lord. Now this is the working power of God. Of all that Jesus both began to do and to teach, continues with those that he sent out by the power of the Holy Spirit, branches out, roots down, and we're watching the church get established. Samaria, Galilee, Jerusalem. Now we're, we're talking out to the coast. And we're going to come to this in Acts chapter 10. And we're going to carry this. Oh, they're already, in, they're already in Damascus up at Syria. Primarily amongst the Jews. And what Peter does here in that, that I would say this way, and I, I think I got something I want to quote here if I get there. Yeah, the healing of a paralyzed man is truly a miracle. This is quoting Pastor Chuck. But there's no greater miracle than the transformation which takes place in a person who surrenders their life to Jesus Christ. A person who was spiritually paralyzed can suddenly walk. Someone spiritually blind can now see. Anyone who denies the miracles today denies salvation because salvation is a miracle. Now, it continues on in verse 36. He goes from Lydda to Joppa. Now he's in Tel Aviv. In fact, you can go there today just south of Tel Aviv to Joppa. Believe it or not, they say they have Simon the Tanner's house. Now, in all practicality, in all reality, where, where he actually stays in Joppa, before he, he, he stays there, he arrives and, and the church is there. There's a certain disciple named Tabitha. Now, her name is translated Dorcas. So Tabitha is her Hebrew name, right? Dorcas is her Greek name. And, and here begins, uh, again, if you catch by the Holy Spirit, what's the Holy Spirit starting to do? He's revealing that this salvation is not just for those of Hebrew, but he starts to talk in these terms of which he's already alluded to. And this is what the Holy Spirit is saying. The eunuch was saved. He goes down to Ethiopia. The church, that, that's birth there. That, 
how, how do I describe what's going to take place in the next chapter when a Roman centurion sends for the gospel? And from there, it, it branches out to the whole world. Dorcas is a woman full of good deeds, good works, charitable deeds, which she did. Now, we all want Dorcas in church. She, she's doing those things that are ministering needs. Probably the gift of helps. And, and the idea that you need something, she has that gift. And when she does that, it's like, that's, that's perfect. And, and this is the way she relates with the church. She dies. Verse, verse 37, it happened in those days that she became sick and died. They had washed her later in an upper room. Now, again, how do the Jews do things? That's only going to be for that day. They don't lay the body up and keep the body there. In fact, when they followed the code concerning dead bodies, that was just that day that her body would be washed, and then they would take her out. So this is that day only. This isn't the way we do funerals. And as they wash her body, they lay her in an upper room. You can't help but to see how the Holy Spirit is is pointing throughout scriptures to to the the idea of the upper room with Elisha where where the Shunammite built him an extra room when he came to to stay. And you have the upper room where the Holy Spirit was poured out. Again, just by name and just by term. So she dies. She's laid in the upper room. Lydda was close to Joppa. So so Peter's there in Lydda after, after what? After the healing of Aeneas, did you catch that phrase? Many turned to the Lord. That was the work of salvation. You'd almost go right by you to see that the works that Jesus did through the disciples by the power of the Holy Spirit was unto the spreading of the gospel, unto the saving of souls, not to have a TV show and make all kinds of money and gather, take three or four offerings from people. See why I despise Christian TV? Now, you come to this place of understanding what took place in history. They know Peter's there. Why? Because of what's going on in Lydda is well known. People are turning to the Lord. So they call for Peter, and they sent two men to him, imploring him not to delay in coming to them. It's today only. I mean, she is going to be wrapped up, right, in burial cloths. Remember Lazarus? Wrapped up all in cloths. Remember how they did that with Jesus? After Jesus died, they wrapped him all up and then packed the body with various smelly stuff, aloes, you know, what is it, myrrh, that... They would, they would uh, do anything to keep the stink from coming outside that sealed rock. I, I mean, you get that. And so they send for Peter, come quickly. Peter arose and went with them. And when he had come, they brought him to the upper room, and all the widows stood by weeping, and they're showing the, the tunics and the garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. Now, at this point, you, you the scene is is... So close to the day when Jesus was was asked to come, my 12-year-old daughter is sick. And that's the day when the woman who had the flow of blood for 12 years, okay, and you catch that, and then she touches his garment, she's healed, and then Jesus. by the time Jesus gets to that house, that little girl is dead. They're weeping and wailing and mourning and all those things. And Jesus said, why, why are you crying and wailing and weeping and mourning? Why, why all this? He said, she's not dead. She's sleeping. And he put everybody out. He put all those out. And Peter was there with him. And we know Jesus rose her, raised her from the dead, rose her. Right? And her name is Talitha, 
right? Somehow you got this name. I don't know how that happened to you. But you even notice that even into the way we weigh the names are transliterated into English, Talitha, this woman is named Tabitha. And again, this, you, you can't help but recognize this connection. Peter put all of them out. Now, if you thought this was a common thing, you'd be so mistaken throughout Scripture. You can, on one hand, talk about the power of God through individuals, normal people. Do you remember Elijah was a man like we are, with desires and passions like we are, and yet he prayed? Didn't reign for three and a half years. Elijah was not a unique man that none of us could attain unto. I present unto you, Peter is not, he's not someone that's so great that we cannot attain to this. He's a fisherman. In our day and age, we'd say he's a farmer. He's, he, he's a laborer. This, this is not a high class, you know, this is not a high paying job. He's a normal guy. He goes in, puts everybody out, and look what he does in 40. Knelt down and prayed. Turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. Right? And what did Jesus say? Little girl, arise. I don't know if you what the drama you thought it would be. I know how Naaman came down from Syria to get healed. He thought that that the prophet, because he was such a great man, he would heal him in a great, fantastic way. Maybe come out and wave his hand over the leprosy and watch it disappear. He says, no, just go wash in the river. What's Peter do? Gets down, kneels, and prays? I I mean, I know how we pray when we want a healing. We And, and many times there's this we, this little bit of, you know, like we got to build this up a little bit. I want to say the right words. This faith. It's the act of faith believing God wants to raise her from the dead. Peter kneels down, prays, gets up, speaks the word of faith that, that the Spirit gave him and, and commands. Again, think about it. Lazarus, come forth. Jesus says, little girl, arise. When you know the Spirit of God is doing these things, and there's Elijah, right? Elisha, there's Jesus, there's Peter, there's Paul. That's a small group of which have brought people back from the dead. In fact, the raiders came and they were burying somebody and they were burying him in Elisha's tomb and that dead body touched Elisha's bones. Now I love that answer because you, you watch Elijah's prophecy, them, all these things, can these dead bones live? Can these dry bones live? So you have Elijah and then the, the second, again, of you, the double portion upon Elisha. And, and I don't know if you thought that they were in days, they were prophets in days when things were smooth. You'd be so mistaken. They were prophets in the days like today when mankind wanted to worship and serve other gods. There's such a divide in Israel over Baal and God. And I remind you, this gospel of Jesus Christ was birthed in the days of the Roman Empire that ruled the world, and it was filled with oppression. It was, it was filled with, again, if you understand Rome, they crushed every rebellion. There was not freedom in the Roman Empire. Now, I love the way one of my friends says this. He says, if you look at the scriptures, this is a way to look at this. The gospel is birthed in the, in, in the time when the world was in bondage. And if we're honest, go back to that branch and vine. It's where the gospel of Jesus Christ has branched out in that vine. Everywhere the gospel of Jesus Christ goes, what happens? Sets people free. Women are set free wherever this gospel has gone. Children, right? This is all set free concerning the gospel of Jesus Christ. We see the mighty working power of God to raise 
Tabitha from the dead. She opens her eyes. She sees Peter. She sits up and says, why did you bring me back? I don't know if she said that. But if she's truly in the presence of the Lord. Now, I understand, you know, there's so many church doctrines over what happens to somebody when they die. Twisted, messed up, right? Theories of man, scripture out of context. I mean, the JWs, right? That cult that worships the, what is it? They worship Jesus as an archangel, created being. And, and they twist this whole thing up. And they basically teach that when you die, you cease to exist. Annihilationism. Yet the Bible reveals there's an eternal hell and there's an eternal life. And as we're talking about all these things, this mighty working power of God that brings Tabitha back from the dead, and it's not like Peter's striving. I love it when Elisha brings the boy back to life. The boy's cold, right? Lays upon him. He matches eyes to eyes, mouth to mouth, and he's crying out to the Lord. Seven times he prays. <clears throat> and in that seventh time, the boy starts to cough and his, his, his breath comes back into him. And then he comes and brings her and hands the boy to the to mother. And then, and then she says, I finally know you're, the, you're a man of God. You reel that thing back. There's a miracle in the boy's birth. There's other things that have happened. There's miraculous things that have happened. She says, now I know. Because the resurrection power, power over death. This is Jesus at work. The power of, of life over death manifested. We saw the power over sickness and disease, or if you will, paralyzed. It could be because of sin. Power over all this. That power of salvation, power to raise from the dead. We, what do we have? If there's no resurrection, what do we have? We have nothing. Paul clearly lays this out to the Corinthian church. He says, if there's no resurrection from the dead, because that's what people were talking, he's like, then we are to be most pitied above all people. Everything hinges upon this truth of the power of the resurrection. Well, I don't know what it was like to be Peter that day, but I look at 41. Then he gave her his hand, lifted her up, and he called the saints and widows. He presented her alive. I don't know what time. You imagine that? just happening in your midst, and you're like, wow. And, and what can you say other than this is what Jesus both began to do and to teach, and it's the teachings of Jesus together with the power of the Holy Spirit in that Peter in and of himself has no power to do these things, nor, nor does anyone else but God who pours forth his power, that same power that raised Jesus from the dead at work in his church. And as she opened her eyes, Peter walks out of the room holding her hands and the saints rejoicing. And what a blessing it was to the church. Now, when you look at this, and I'll repeat it, the miracles of God lead to salvation, to miracles of salvation. 42 says it became known throughout all Joppa. And look at that phrase, many believed on the Lord. Many believed on the Lord. Hey, I'll be straight up honest with you. Do you know how the world views the church? Well, if you didn't know, you sure learned over, the, over what happened in the last couple of years in this country. One prominent state, the largest populated state in our country, which is California, classified in all the government regulations heaped upon the citizens the free citizens who are no longer free in a state of this country 
and they put the church in the same category as entertainment. Now, I'm not going to say blame the government. I'm going to say what? Well, without the mighty working power of God, without the gospel going forth, without the church, I mean, what is the church presented to the world? Christian entertainment, isn't it? And so we've been sold a bill of goods that church is about entertainment. Come on in. We'll entertain you. We'll feed you. We have a concert every week. But the church, if you, if you see it in, in, in Acts, is what? The church is rooted in Jesus, abiding in Jesus, and then fruitful in Jesus. And then the church goes out. As you go out and you share the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that root goes down again, and then it branches out. What we're seeing in Acts 9, very clearly, Peter is rooted in the miraculous power of Jesus Christ. Now, church tradition tells us all the apostles went forth into the world. Oh, it, they, kept, they were in Jerusalem in the beginning, and every one of them branches out. Thomas, we're told, goes to India. Many of the believers in India, they track their faith back to Thomas coming and preaching the gospel and the church roots in India. Now, to me, it's exciting. The book of Acts, you look at it, well, you'd say none of the apostles made it to, to this part of the world, and aren't you glad that it didn't take an apostle? In fact, if you understand Paul... At the end of his life, he is going forth with one thing in mind. I want to go where the gospel of Jesus Christ has not been preached. Dr. Livingston goes forth into Africa to preach Christ amongst the people who've never heard of him, preaching the gospel, not just mentioning his name. The, the demons already know who Jesus is. It's not like you can mention Jesus' name and voila, everybody gets saved. Peter doesn't just mention the name of Jesus. No, the power of God does a mighty work, and then many believe upon the Lord. And just that phrase, we're out sharing the gospel here the last few weeks. And just, I ask people, do you know the Lord? And during the headlights look, and I know right away, they're not saved, not born again. And so then now I know I'm going to preach Christ to them. You understand that this mighty working power of God, and, and well, you could say shame on the church, but I don't think it's that. I would say that what we're looking at is exactly what Jesus wrote, the seven letters to the church, which we've covered in this study. And I'm reminding us, we are to be like the church that we read in the book of Acts, full of the Holy Spirit, obedient to go forth, and as we go, preach Christ and establish the church, establish upon the miraculous power of salvation. Oh, Computers have allowed us to organize great numbers of people for any cause. The world even now has figured out how to do fundraising and get people, get money out of people. And maybe they learned it from the church. Again, how many look at the church? That's all they are is fundraisers. I, I tell you what, the church in the city, again, by and large, the churches in the city where I dwell, they all have their fall fundraiser. So <laughs> we show up and like, what do we do? We're like, well, we do a, what we did a, in the beginning, what we call a God's not broke. We, we're not fundraising. We're not having you come to our event to pay for what we want to do this year. We, you know, we did say, this is a garage sale. It's a reverse garage sale. You show up, you find the items you like, and when you walk out the door, we pay you instead of you paying us. Blew people's minds. In fact, one, one lady found out about it, reverse garage sale. She went and got all her stuff and brought her stuff there. We're like, okay, bring it in. We gave away 30 bed sets that, that 
that God's not broke. The church where we were gathering together for services switched out all their beds, right? I took whatever they had left. I talked to my boss. I'm working in West Fargo. I'm the accountant. This is a grain elevator. We sell fertilizer. They have a pickup with a fifth wheel and a long flatbed. Not a fat bed. (laughs) And we stack up 30 bed sets and stuff them into our garage and storage shed, filled up our garage and our storage shed with beds, kept them, and that day we rented a U-Haul, took all those beds, and we gave away those beds, and then we delivered them right after that God's not broke. Fundraiser, I'm here to say unto you, we have ways that by faith we can go forth doing those things that God has shown us to do, to preach Christ, to follow the Holy Spirit, and I said, why aren't these great miraculous things happening like they used to? Well, probably is directly related to this phrase that Peter does. Peter got on his knees and prayed. And I stir this up in us. And this is what I had to learn the hard way. Nothing happens unless we pray. I thought in my ignorance and inexperience that show up, tell people about Christ, invite people to the Bible study, and the church gets birthed and started and gets filled up. I'll tell you what, none of that happened. What I learned was through prayer and then going forth. And then God puts you in front of people and you meet people. And then sometimes God brings people. And other times you're sent to people. And then, and then this power of God begins to be at work. Now, in describing all that, I don't say any of that to glorify our God's not broke. From the outside, you'd say this is the most pathetic outreach I've ever seen, maybe. They've got a room filled with junk. But when you're giving stuff away, and then we'd give away Bibles, and we and we would, and you know what? And then we said, we will be here tomorrow morning for service. And if you think it doesn't make a difference, it does for for K and G, the crackhead couple met in rehab, both had had declared Christ, and they're back living together, and they're all in in, in back into crack, probably their third time out of out of rehab. And they're back at it in that neighborhood, and we're there. And they found out we were giving away money at the, and so that this is the greatest thing ever. They show up to church, and I just began to minister in their lives. And they still would call us after 10, 12 years. Sometimes I think they call just to make sure we're there. The last call I got was on Christmas. Called the church, left a voice message. I just love you, man. I just want you to know that I love. And he's and he's all drunk or high or whatever, but he still has that that mighty working power of God that we showed up and preached Christ. Now, what am I presenting unto us? Not We don't preach churches. We don't preach works. Uh, what do we, our works, what do we preach? We preach the working of Jesus Christ under the miraculous power of salvation. Do you preach Peter healing or do you preach Jesus saves? So all that this is evidence of for us as we look at the history is through prayer, And faith, the mighty working power of the Holy Spirit, overflowed the lives of those that believed in Jesus and miraculous salvation took place. So what are we connecting for us? I simply put it this way. We need the resurrection power of Jesus in our lives at the place of prayer on our knees trusting what God says to do, believing that he will do it. 
A passive faith says this, I believe can, a God can. An active faith says, I believe God will. And this is what Peter puts on display. He prayed, received from God, speaks forth the word because he believed God will do this. Think of this working that we've seen now. Acts 3, they see the man who's lame for, what, 38 years? Peter speaks forth unto him because he saw he had faith to be healed. And then salvation comes forth. Preaching Jesus comes forth. And I'll simply connect this to us. We need to pray. Right? And then obey the Spirit of God. We know inherently how many activities can occupy where we spend our time day by day. We might have a wealth of knowledge and information. What did the, Daniel's prophecy? In the last days, knowledge will increase. We're here. It's, it's like a mushroom cloud of, of knowledge and information. Now we have a whole technology dedicated to the management of the information, let alone to say how much misinformation goes with that. See, but isn't that what the Bible teaches? I, I'm just here to encourage us. We are so close to Jesus coming back. The technology that is available to fulfill the prophecies in the book of Revelation, we read it and we can like, oh, but it could happen this way. It could happen. We can envision everything being fulfilled. The fulfillment of the, fulfillment of the book of Revelation is what? It's Jesus, the king, coming back for his, for his kingdom here on earth. Don't ever, don't let it ever anybody say to you, there is no kingdom here on earth. Because Jesus is going to come and set up his millennial kingdom. That's the kingdom king we serve. He's the one doing this working in the church. We don't have to as a church. We don't have to prepare the world for Jesus' return. In fact, just like the church was birthed in that trouble with the Roman Empire, prophecy in the book of Daniel shows that the earth will actually once again have, if you will, a revived Roman Empire that overtakes the world. Birthed in oppression, and I'll say it, raptured in the midst of oppression. An oppressing government. There's only the way to understand the Antichrist coming is he is going to have ultimate power over all of the world and deceive them into thinking that he's the, the Christ. Now, where does that leave us? I love the book of Acts together with Revelation. We need prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit. The miraculous power of God unto salvation. I say unto you, pray and obey. Just work that out. Pray and obey. And where Jesus sends you, go there. And speak those things that he puts forth to speak. So, Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the book of Acts. We love seeing the vine branching out in Acts 9. Can't wait to see how it comes to the Gentiles in 10 and 11. What a branch that the gospel would go forth and save Gentiles and how you'd send the gospel to every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. Lord Jesus, come quickly. We wait for you. We want to be faithful. We pray. We watch. We wait. But that other part, Lord, we want to obey your spirit in these days. Lord, save many. Save now. Lord, on that day, that miraculous power, the day you want to do things, may we be ready. Lord, whether it be ready to go forth and serve or whether we're ready to be caught away, that you would make your church ready. Lord, keep us from the deadness of the works of our own hands and fill us up with the works of Jesus. And this we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So we have communion tonight. And I did remember. So uh, let's do this. We are going to, I don't have any song planned. I don't have any of those things. So let's find our way in our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 11.